0: A clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ will almost always invoke an accusation that you're encouraging immorality. After all, why be good if your good deeds don't contribute to your right standing or salvation with God? Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism, and its associate fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local church fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Romans 6 begins with a question from those who are reacting to a gospel of free salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Why not go on sinning then, that grace may abound, the individual responds. The question reveals a hidden motive behind much of a person's morality, and also reveals a fundamental failure to understand who God is. When you say, hey, listen, God saves wretched sinners through nothing they can do of themselves, freely what God gives them, the person thinks, well, wait, what about... What about these moral coins that I've been adding up that I think get me where I need to go? And they they react to it. They don't like this suggestion. It's it's an offense to their own self-righteousness. And what they'll do is they'll pivot on you and tell you that your gospel is encouraging lawlessness. It's encouraging immorality. It's, it's not contributing in any way to encouraging at least morality. If a person is saved regardless of their actions or how bad they have behaved in the past, but simply by placing their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, dying for their sins. If, in fact, trying to save yourselves by good works is actually something that interferes with your ability to place your faith in Christ alone for your salvation, then you basically are subverting any kind of influence upon us to be good at all. Why be good if that's the case? You're kind of taking the lever that God has put over us to make us kind of measure up, and you're saying you're removing that leverage on us, and you're just going to have chaos. We'll just do whatever we want. That's the argument they come back with. And by the way, I've had this asked me numbers of times. I know this is where Paul is at because this has come back at me many times. And oftentimes it's quite strange the person who's making the argument. Hey, hey wait a second, I know why you live. I know the choices you're making and you're kind of down on the lower stratosphere of people who are being careful how they live. And all of a sudden you're becoming the refined moralist telling me the application of how we ought to live. And that still pops up in their mind. Because well, because the gospel is an offense to any iota of self-righteousness that people have in thinking they can earn their salvation by something they have in themselves. Something that they can add to the scale that somehow will gain God's favor and bring them into God's presence. And so just remember, when you preach the gospel as it is to be preached, as a free gift of God's grace alone on those who are completely and totally undeserving and without any strength whatsoever to save themselves, you will always open yourself up to this one attack that your preaching of the gospel is making room for increased immorality and lawlessness and you're removing the incentive to be good at all. And if this is not a criticism that your gospel is receiving, then it's very likely that you're not preaching the gospel, but you're preaching a false gospel. Just try harder. just be a little better, be a good person. just get involved, go to church, do these that's not the gospel. Here's a second thing we can see about this question. This question reveals a mentality that approaches morality in a transactional way. This question reveals a mentality that approaches morality in a transactional way. The idea is that if I'm good, I can purchase some benefit from God and reap some value for myself. Morality in this case is a matter of enlightened self-interest, right? And in part, by the way, a person drawing that conclusion may draw that conclusion by just studying the world that they live in. Because we've mentioned this before, that God has not only made this world with physical laws that rule it, but God has also made this world with moral laws that govern it. And when you follow the moral laws, living in this created world, and you obey certain moral laws, instead of moving against the grain of what God has made, you start moving with it, and life gets better, and life improves for you. In other words, if you put into your life the fires of selfishness and immediate gratification, you'll end up living in a landscape scorched by your own sinfulness and your own selfishness. But if instead you plant into the world you live, in the community you live, goodness, and kindness, and seeking the advantage of others, and not just yourself alone, you generally cultivate around yourself a fruitful and a beneficial life so a person calculates that and thinks that well what works with creation also works with the creator but what works with creation doesn't work with the creator you can't somehow put some input in before the creator and the creator then says now i've got to be good to these people because they've done such a good job here you can't Purchase a return from the Creator in order to get benefit for your life. And the reason is this. God will be no man's debtor. God can't receive anything from you that He doesn't have. God's not out there begging for, or looking for, or bartering with you. He's not a businessman that's engaging a trade with you. God is a holy and just God who has laws and viable laws that stand and govern over all things. God is not someone who receives something from you and gives something in return. God is just a God who gives. God is a God who gives every good and perfect gift. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. These are things that are undeserved and unmerited, are not attained, are not acquired, or not bought. God will owe you Nothing. You were never in a situation where you could say, you know, I did this for you and I did that and I met this requirement and I've been good and I've collected these moral merit coins and now God, you owe me favor. I've gained a little purchase on eternity and you owe it to me, now pay up. No, certainly not. That's not how God is. So what works in creation is not how it works with the Creator. And this idea that my moral activity, my behavior is just really ultimately a little bit of enlightened self-interest, angling for my own benefit, is exposed before God. It's a selfishness that has to be overcome. Here's the third thing about this question. This question reveals also a failure in those who try to morally transact with God to recognize the depth of sin and its impact on their own lives. Most individuals who ask the question then why be good at all as I mentioned before actually are just thinking why be a little bit better than everybody else that I've been because they can't admit to they would never you're not all good you've got some good you got so bad they're just saying I'm good enough but they fail to recognize the whole nature of the sin that has come upon their life and is in their life they think they've failed in some measure but that their sin is not insurmountable that if only they could show that they, to God or to others, that they're periodically putting forward a good effort. It should be enough. And they've yet to be able to trace the deep, hidden depth and defilement that sin has brought upon their life. They don't understand the complete moral bankruptcy that sin has brought into their life. They don't understand or comprehend what. Isaiah proclaimed, which is that all our righteousness is like filthy rags. They haven't been willing to confront and meet the man that is described in Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18. A horrible picture of the total unworthiness of an individual and the total decay that sin has brought to the core of an individual's being. So they don't understand this, don't. You know? And it's interesting to me that if you read the book of Romans, Paul keeps coming back to this point over and over again. You say, why does Paul keep coming back to this point of the total depravity and the total defilement that sin brings upon an individual? And the reason is it's an idea, this idea that somehow there's something in me that can rise above it all and that somehow I can resurrect my own self, it's like a myth that won't go away and doesn't die easily. It just keeps coming back over and over again. It keeps springing back up to life. It's like a weed that you have to pull over and over again until eventually you get to the roots. And so Paul keeps plucking back this assumption that people are making that is a false assumption that somehow there's something in them, some moral note that they can finally find and put forward that will be the key to open up and unlock eternity before them because it's in them and it's not what's in them is a depth of sin they've never begun to realize a horror of sin they've never begun to calculate and the only one who knows it is God himself so deeply entrenched is it that it required a God of love to send his own son to come and become sin for us in order to die and bear the punishment for us and then it requires that son to come and live in us by the Holy Spirit to totally and completely purge out the defilement of that sin from our life. The individual who's trying to transact morally with God doesn't recognize the depth of their own sin. So if you look at this, what you can see is that this question that's being asked is being asked from somebody from outside the gospel looking in. They don't understand the gospel. They don't get it. They're still clinging to this idea that they can work for something. They can gain something. And they don't understand this idea of free grace, and then they don't understand why it has to be free, why it has to be given in complete grace, undeserved in every way, why it has to come to them as an expression of mercy, that mercy that withholds the judgment they deserve. They don't understand it. They can't comprehend it. They don't understand that the most important thing, eternal life, is not something that they can gain in any degree by themselves or by any degree on their own part. It's a question that reveals that they have this transactional approach to doing good, and it's a question that reveals that... They fundamentally don't comprehend the exceeding sinfulness of one's sin. I might add that they don't understand the exceeding holiness and righteousness and the exacting justice of God. They don't understand these things. Now, I mentioned that this is the unbelieving person or the unsaved person who's looking from outside the gospel in it and is trying to understand and it doesn't compute with the way they've lived their lives. They've not lived their lives in that way. They've, They've lived their whole lives trying to earn things and gain things and acquire things and somehow merit things. But I would say that this is not only a question the unbeliever and the unsaved person might find themselves asking. It is possible that the saved and the believing person can also find themselves pondering the question as well. Why be good? Why be moral if grace exalted in the free forgiveness that God gives us? What's my incentive to being good if this is all about grace? If it's all about grace, why don't I just accept the liberty that gives me and just do whatever I want? And just say, you know, why don't I make the calculation? You know, I'll just ask Jesus to forgive my sins and I'll put salvation in my back pocket like this free pass that'll get me to heaven. And then I'll go on my merry way doing whatever I want to do and living how I want to do. And I'll calculate today I'll sin a lot and then tomorrow I'll pray a little bit and it'll be okay. Or today I'll sin a little and then tomorrow I'll pray a lot and it'll be okay. Whatever the balance is. These are the kind of calculations that go in an individual's life. And they'll look at these things that are coming upon them, these temptations, and they'll say, well, like you know, it's just too big for me. I'll just give in today. I'll ask God to forgive me tomorrow. It'll be all right. They're running an equation in their mind when they do that. And I'm just telling you, when you do that, you're thinking like a person who has not discovered the gospel. You're processing sin and temptation like a person who is outside the gospel looking in, like it doesn't belong to you, instead of something that you're in that God has brought to you and transformed you with and changed you. You need to ask yourself whether that's the kind of equation and question you're asking yourself, because if it is, it reveals that you've not been born again. If you can make that equation over and over and over again, and you can start running a life on the basis of, I'll just live the way I want to live, and then every once in a while I'll perch myself up on God's porch and ask for forgiveness, and I'll go back and do what I want to go. and you can continue to live that over and over again, thinking that you can presume upon the gospel in that way, it's probably an indication that you're still on the outside looking into the gospel, and you don't understand You're still, in a sense, dealing with God in a transactional way. I'll do a little sin, I'll pay off with a little bit of the provision that God's given me, I'll sin a little bit more, but my good work is I'll just keep coming back to Him and get what He has to give me, and I'll go on doing my thing. And you're still transacting with God in this way. And it just reveals that, well, you might be on the outside looking into the gospel. Let's look at what the response is to a person who's in the gospel, who's been changed by the gospel, and his response to that question And his response is found in this rhetorical question in verse 2. Certainly not. God forbid it. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. We'd love to hear from you. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to send us a message of encouragement or a prayer request. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.